If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Notice there's no text printed in your bulletin, but you can find the text. If you have a pew Bible in front of you, you can turn to page 260, and the passage will be there. It will also be printed on the screen behind me. Uh, This Sunday um, is commonly known as Reformation Sunday, and it's particularly important this year because this year marks the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. And a natural question would be, all right, well, who cares? <laughs> uh, why in the world would we care or want to remember something that happened 500 years ago? Well, and the short answer to that is we believe that the theological emphasis of the Reformation are just as important today as they were 500 years ago. And you might ask, well, okay, what were, what were their emphasis? What did they focus on? What were the themes of the Reformation? And again, you've heard me say uh, many times is uh, you can't say everything about anything, and if you try, you'll end up saying nothing. Well, the same is true here. There's, we could spend weeks talking about all the things that came out of the Reformation, uh, but to summarize, uh, the Reformation... Uh, The Reformers, they made much of the Bible, they made much of Jesus, and they made much of God's grace. And they summarized those uh, themes in what is known as the five solos of the Reformation. They're these Latin phrases. They're actually edged in the stone as you come in the doors, the front door of the lower level of this building. You'll notice the phrases, the five solas there. And so for the next five Sundays, we are going to emphasize one of those solos of the Reformation. And this morning, we're going to emphasize sola gratia, which basically means by grace alone. And there is no passage, I think, that really gets at the heart of the Reformation and this idea of grace alone more than what we see here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And so with that in mind, please follow along with me as I read this beautiful story in God's Word, taken from 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 13. This is God's holy Word. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Maker, the son of Amniel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amniel at Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, try saying that five times really fast. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant 
that you show regard for a dead dog such as I. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. And now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servant. And so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and to be with us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be holy and pleasing to you. Would you come through your spirit? And apply this incredible, this beautiful passage to our hearts so that we might be changed. Would you show us the goodness of your grace and the goodness of Jesus through this passage this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We've been studying the books of First and Second Samuel. And we've been looking specifically, tracing the life of David through those books. And to not go into... a ton of the background, just to give you a quick snapshot of where we are. Uh, In 2 Samuel chapter 5, David was installed as the king of Israel finally. And David has been doing an incredible job as king. He's the king of Israel, and Israel is thriving. Things have never been better for God's people. They're experiencing peace and prosperity. And David uh, is a good king, and so he wants to show kindness someone. And he doesn't want to just show kindness to anyone. He wants to show kindness uh, and fulfill a promise or a covenant that he made with one of his best friends 15 years prior. You can find that promise made in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Remember, Jonathan is King Saul's son, and David and Jonathan were best friends. And in that chapter, 1 Samuel 20, David makes a covenant with Jonathan and says that he's never going to cut off his love from Jonathan or Jonathan's descendants. Verse 1. That's why we see David saying, Is there anyone left? Is there anyone else in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Look at verse 3. Very important. It's phrased just a little bit different. Is there anyone else that I can show the kindness of God to? And here's why that's significant. The word kindness here in the original language, which is the Hebrew, is the word hesed. And hesed is most commonly used to describe God's love, his covenant love for his people. His hesed love. Sally Lloyd-Jones, writer of the Jesus Storybook Bible, says that God's covenant love is God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever kind of love. And so this is significant because David is saying, 
I want to show someone from the house of Jonathan what the kindness and the love of God looks like. He's saying, I want to show us what it means to have a window into the very heart of God. That's what this passage is. This passage is a window into the heart of God. And so this morning, we're going to look at the love of God, and we're going to see in this passage three things about God's love. One, God's love stoops low. Secondly, we're going to see that God's love is extravagant. God's love is over the top for his people. And thirdly, we're going to see that God's love changes us. Let's look at number one. God's love stoops low. Look at verse three. We're introduced here to Mephibosheth, which I'm going to say that just a few more times during the sermon. (laughs) Who is Mephibosheth? Well, in in verse 3, we learned that it's Jonathan's son. But what else do we learn about Mephibosheth in this passage? Well, it says and makes a point to tell us twice that he's crippled in both feet. And if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, and you can look at this later, we learn what happened to Mephibosheth. And what happened was that uh, Saul and his son Jonathan were out fighting against the Philistines, and they were both killed in battle. And news got back to Jonathan's household, to where Mephibosheth was at that time. Mephibosheth was five years old at that point in time. And news got back that Jonathan and David had been killed in battle. Well, they knew that the Philistines were ruthless. And they knew that the Philistines were now coming for them. And they wanted to protect the throne. And protect Mephibosheth. And so the nurse comes and grabs Mephibosheth. And starts carrying him out of the house in a hurry. Because they know the Philistines are coming after them. And in a rush the nurse loses her grip on Mephibosheth. And accidentally drops him. And crushes both of his feet. And he is crippled for the rest of his life as a result of that event. That event changed Mephibosheth's life for the rest of his life. From that point on, it was never the same. He was never going to lead an army. He was never going to fight in battle like the rest of the men around him. He couldn't walk. Completely helpless from this point forward. Not to mention that in the ancient Near East, if you were crippled or lame you were considered a social outcast. We also know that in the ancient Near East that names really meant something. They mattered and said something about a person. Do you know what Mephibosheth's name means? It means shame. See, shame was a picture of Mephibosheth's life. Look at verse 6. Notice that the author then makes a point to tell us something about Mephibosheth that he doesn't have to tell us. Very subtle, but it says that Mephibosheth, he was a part of the old regime. He was a part of the enemy regime. And we know that because he doesn't just say Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan. He could have stopped there, the author, but he doesn't. What else does he say? Son of Saul. Why is that such a big deal? Well, Ralph Dell Davis, who is a commentator 
on 2 Samuel says this, and I love the way he puts that, puts this. Every king in the ancient Near East practiced solidification by liquidation. (laughs) Solidification by liquidation. Meaning that when a new king took the throne, everyone that was connected to the old throne, to the old regime, they were killed. They were done away with. We know that most of Saul's family and Jonathan's family had all died in battle except for Mephibosheth. Why? Well, because he couldn't fight. He was lame, and so he was at home. And so David says, can I offer kindness to someone in Jonathan's family? And he calls for Ziba and says, Ziba, go get him. And so then Ziba shows up at Mephibosheth's house and says, the king wants to see you. Mephibosheth. Is thinking, oh no. I was hoping David would never know that I'm alive. But now he does. I am a dead man. And that's why it says, look at verse 7. He's afraid. And when he approaches David, he is shaking. And David says, don't be afraid. And he falls down on his face and he starts to honor the king. And he's thinking, I'm going to die. This is it. Make it quick. And he even refers to himself as a worthless dead dog. Because you see, that's how Mephibosheth sees himself. Remember, his name means shame. Look at verse 6 again. And remember, I'm going to keep bringing us back to this. David is showing us here, and in this passage, we're getting a window into the very heart of God, into the way God loves his people. And as Mephibosheth is sitting before David, Mephibosheth hears something that he never expected. He expected, I'm going to die, and instead he gets something totally different. And he hears something that he might not have ever heard in all of his years. David looks at him, and did you notice? David calls him by his name. David, it's if to say, the world doesn't see you. You're a nobody to them. You're a social outcast. And David says, I see you, Mephibosheth. I see you and you matter to me. And I will show you kindness. Come. Come and eat at my table always. And I want you to think about that scene for for a second. Think about the table of King David. And who would be around that table on this particular day when this is going on. Well, David the king, of course, and then Abnon, David's older son, Tamar, who was believed to be extraordinarily beautiful, Absalom, who was considered to have no blemish from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, Joab, the man's man, the commander of the army, David's nephew, Solomon, who's the future king, and then Mephibosheth who actually had to be carried to the table because he could not walk there himself. Let's be honest. We don't want to be Mephibosheth ever, do we? Because we don't want to be that helpless. But God says through this story, I know you don't want to be like Mephibosheth. But unless you understand that spiritually speaking, you are Mephibosheth. You're not David in this story. 
You're not the one showing loving kindness. We're Mephibosheth. The people, the person who has been crippled by sin and who has no right to be in the king's presence. See, this story is saying, unless you get that, then you'll never really understand the deep, deep love of God for you. You see, you know that you're starting to understand Christianity. When you start to realize that your distant relatives, Adam and Eve, actually dropped you. And it didn't crush your feet, but it actually crushed your heart. It crushed, it had an effect on your DNA, on what's going on on the inside. And the Bible calls that sin. And because Adam and Eve are our first parents, we are born sinners. And not only are we born sinners, we are born enemies of the king, just like Mephibosheth. And God in his grace, remember the Reformation? By grace alone. And God in his grace says, come. Come and sit at my table. Friends, Christianity is not about how good you are. It's not about your family pedigree. It's not about how hard you try Christianity is Romans chapter 5. God showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Some of you this morning, you hear that and you think, Jason, you don't know me. You have no idea the things that I've done and the places uh, that I've been and the secrets that I hide. And there's no way God can love me. Or maybe this morning... You're fighting the endless battle to think well of yourself. And you're thinking, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year when I'm going to pull it all together and be a good Christian. And God will finally think well of me. And you know what God does? He puts his finger over your mouth and he says, shh. Just come to the table. Stop. And just come to the table because my love stoops low. And it's for people that have been crippled by sin and who are full of shame. Just come to the table. See, God's love stoops low. And secondly, we see that God's love is extravagant. Think about this passage with me. David is making good on a promise that he made to Jonathan 15 years prior. That's crazy. Because here's what, I mean, think about all the things uh, David could have done. He could have thought, Mephibosheth probably never even heard about this promise. No one else is alive to remember it. And so, eh, I'm just going to let it go. I don't need to do anything. Or perhaps he could think, at the very least, I could get away with the bare minimum. You know, all I'd need to do is just spare his life and let him go on his way. I can just give Mephibosheth a one-year subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. And I'll be fine. That's not what he does, is it? He does way more than spare his life. He does way more than give him a one-year subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. He gives blessing after blessing after blessing. And then when you think he's done enough, David pours out more blessing on Mephibosheth. Look at verse 7. This verse really tells it all. 
It's the focal point of the whole passage. I'll read it again. David says to Mephibosheth, do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. In one sentence, Mephibosheth goes from being a nobody to a somebody and then more, and more than that. It's amazing. He lavishes blessing on him and totally changes his life. Think about it. He gives him first protection. I've got your back, Mephibosheth. Do not fear. No one's going to touch you. I will protect you. I will show you loving kindness. Protection. Provision. In the blink of an eye, he makes Mephibosheth a very wealthy man. Did you notice that? I will restore all the lands that belong to your grandfather. And not only that, I'm going to provide people to work those lands for you, and you don't have to lift a finger. I'm going to provide for you. Protection and provision, and then position. You will eat at my table, not just some of the time. Always you will eat at the king's table. And look at verse 11. Not only will you eat at the king's table, but you will be like one of the king's sons. Did you hear that? Friends, that is amazing. That is what's happening here. Is David is saying to Mephibosheth, no longer will you be defined by shame. No longer will you be defined and have your identity wrapped up in your disability, in the fact that you're crippled. But I'm going to give you a new status. You're my son. And you will be at my table always. And here's the question. What did Mephibosheth do to deserve or get this blessing? What did Mephibosheth do to earn or get this new status? By grace alone. Remember the heart of the Reformation? Mephibosheth did absolutely nothing. You ever heard of the NBA basketball player Dickie Simpkins? Anybody ever heard of him? (laughs) Of course not. But did you know that Dickie Simpkins has as many championships as LeBron James? See, Dickie Simpkins played for the Chicago Bulls back in the mid-90s when Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan made their big run. And Dickie Simpkins was a part of all of those championships. And Dickie Simpkins' stats went like this. Zero points scored. Zero rebounds. Zero assists. Zero steals. And zero minutes played. But guess what? He got the same championship ring. He was a part of the same championship parades. He received the same cheers as the crowds were cheering for Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and the rest of the team. And he didn't lift a finger. He did nothing but warm up the bench. 
Friends, the Bible says that every single one of us is Dickie Simpkins in need of a Michael Jordan. We're Mephibosheth in need of a David. And remember that the passage is showing us the very heart of God and in God's kindness and in God's love, He gives us exactly what we need because He sends us someone way better than Michael Jordan. He sends us the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come into the world and live the life that we could not live and die the death that we deserve. And when you trust in Jesus, He gives you something way better than an NBA championship. He gives you a new identity and a new status. He says, come, come sit at my table and be my son and be my daughter and you can receive all of the rights and privileges of being a member of my family. And guess what? Just like Dickie Simpkins, just like Mephibosheth, we did nothing. We didn't lift a finger. And yet we received everything from him. So what? What does this mean for you sitting here this morning? Well, maybe this morning... As you're sitting here, uh, you are full of shame over the things that you have done. And all you can think about in your life is how much all those things actually define who you are. And all those things and how they have become your identity. And Jesus says, that's not who you are. Because I have taken all of the things that you've done. You're not defined by those things. I've taken them and I put them on the cross with me 2,000 years ago. You belong to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're at my table. Or maybe this morning you think that as you think about who you are, you define yourself or your identity as someone who's been abused or someone who's been chronically ill for a long time or someone who suffers from an addiction. And God says, no. God says, no, don't you dare think that way. Because you belong to me. And you are my son, and you are at my table, and that's your identity. That is what defines you. See, God's love is extravagant. It's better than anything that we can possibly imagine, and it's way more than just forgiveness. See, God's love gives you a new identity. A new status. Thirdly and finally, God's love changes you. See, the kind of love that we see displayed in this passage changes your life, doesn't it? I love how one commentator says uh, that David, as he looked at Mephibosheth, had every opportunity to recognize God's grace in his own life. That Mephibosheth was actually a mirror to David that reminded him of what God had done and how gracious God had been in his own life. Remember David's story? David's the throwaway son. Oh, is there one more of your sons that can be king? Oh, he's in the sheep pasture. You don't want him. He's the runt. And God says, David, I want you to be my king. What about Goliath? He was reminded as he thought about facing a giant, 
that God was with him. And then he was reminded as he looked at Mephibosheth of God's grace in his life to protect him as Saul was trying to hunt him down and to kill him. And so when Mephibosheth sees, or when David sees Mephibosheth, he's reminded of what God has done in his life. And he looks at Mephibosheth and says, I'm going to treat him the way God has treated me. And God's grace flowed into David's life, and now it was flowing through David's life into Mephibosheth's life. Isn't that what we all want as we sit here this morning? We want to be more loving and kind and loyal and merciful to other people. Don't we want to be a better friend or a better spouse or a better sibling or a better parent? We want to display this loving kindness that we see in this passage. And then the question is, how in the world do we get that loving kindness? How, how can it flow out of us the way we see here? And the answer, very simply, is that we've got to come to the table like Mephibosheth. And you've got to receive the extravagant love of God for you. And you've got to bask in that love and let it flow into your life. And as it flows into your life, it flows through you into the lives of other people. And so parents... See, the question is what's going to make you stand in front of the church at the baptismal font and promise to dedicate your children to God when those same children walk into the living room and say, I hate you. Or when they walk into the living room and say, I'm pregnant. Or say that I'm leaving the faith. Or I'm going to jail. What is going to make you a loving parent and a loyal parent in that moment? It's the extravagant love, the hesed, the covenant love of God for you. You know what the covenant love of God for you says? That when you sit in things like this, and you could care less about his word. And it simply goes in one ear and out the other and leads you to a boring yawn. And you just simply go through the motions. God looks at you and says, I'm not leaving. I love you. You belong to me. I have bound myself to you. And I promise to keep changing you. What's going to make you be able to honor your father and mother when they struggle with alcohol? And when they constantly scream at one another in the house? Well, you see, it's the promise that God comes and says, I'm going to dishonor my son on the cross so that you can call me father. I will keep my promise to you. What will make you a more committed spouse, a more committed friends when your spouse or your friends hurt you or disappoint you? Well, it's God's promise to make his enemies into his friends. A promise that he was so willing to keep that it took him to the cross. That's what's going to make you more loving and faithful and kind. I'll close with this story. The Olivet, Michigan Eagles. They're a middle school football team in Olivet, Michigan. And this is on YouTube. You should go check it out. But they, this middle school team had decided 
They had come up with this master plan. They did not tell their coach, which is not a good idea normally. But at the next opportunity to score uh, in a football game, they were going to go all the way to the, like, one-inch line and take a knee and not score. That opportunity came a week later when they were playing uh, a football game. Uh, They handed for an end around. It was a reverse, and the guy's running all the way to the end zone, and he takes a knee one, you know, inch before the goal line. And it's funny, if you look at the footage, like the parents are going nuts. What are you doing? I can't believe you didn't score. The coach is going crazy. They don't know anything about this. And so the team runs over to the coach on the sidelines and says, Coach, we want Keith Orr. Keith Orr is a disabled boy on the team that the coach allows to dress out, but he never gets to play. And so the team says, we want Keith Orr, and not only do we want him in the game, we want him to score. So the coach says, okay, Keith, you're in. So they go, and the center hikes the ball, and the quarterback turns around, and Keith Orr's lined up in the backfield. They hand him the ball, and the entire team circles around Keith, and they push him into the end zone, touchdown Keith Orr. His parents look back on that event and say that's exactly what, it need, what he needed and it changed his life. You are Keith Orr. I am Keith Orr. You are Mephibosheth. And friends, we have been far more disabled by sin than we could possibly imagine. And our only hope, as we said here this morning, is the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God. See, we've been crippled by sin. And our only hope is just like this football team. It's for Jesus to come and wrap his arms around us and say, come sit at my table. You belong to me. You are one of my sons. You are one of my daughters. See, God's love stoops. God's love is extravagant. And God's love changes you. So my question for you this morning as we close is, have you tasted that love? Have you tasted of that grace? I hope so because it is the only way that you will ever, to, ever be able to live out the loving kindness that we see displayed in this passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. A love that is committed to us no matter what. And forgive us for not loving others uh, the way that we see in this passage. We ask that you would come through your spirit and take this passage from our heads to our hearts. That you would make our church, Lord we ask and beg of you, that you would make our church a place of abundant love and kindness. Like we see displayed here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.